0: I was going to ask you, Mark, what do you want for Christmas?
1: I've already got my two front teeth, so I can't (laughs) think of anything else. Um, I'll tell you what I want. I want the population of South Africa better educated in economics. Mark, hi. And a jolly good morning to you. It's December already, my friend. It's like nearly holidays. Okay. It's the end of the year. It's another year. It's another year that was and is and has been. It's incredible. I'm sorry, but time does not march at an even pace. The older
0: you get, the smaller percentage the same unit of time is of your life. Okay. <laughs> yes. Definitely. And that's why it seems as if time is going faster and faster. And, and you know, it brings you into the first observations of the numbers of the week. There was an, there was a lady in Uganda, age seventy, who's just given birth to twins. Okay. Now, beyond that, as a medical feat, who'd want to at 7?
1: You're going to be 91 at their 21st. And by your definition, time is going faster. So (laughs) the upside is that it won't feel as long as it would if you had them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, and you read this where? uh, You read this on uh, some Twitter or other.
0: Yeah. I mean, on some tweets. On some you know, tweet right, here we are. And you trust that. You, you know, Tim, what we mustn't do is start questioning each other's sources. Okay? Because <laughs> we we'll, we'll have to cut the program by like yes, half. Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. <laughs> so just take it face value. <laughs> on the subject of age and perception, did you know oh. that Trump is only three years younger than Biden? I did. You see, where did you read that? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, you know, we've got too many old people in power. But yeah, I mean, 81 is very old to become the president, but 78 ain't that much younger. So yeah. we
1: need some 50-year-olds to take charge of our world, my friend. Yeah, some some, some really kind of useful, trusting politicians yeah, aged yeah, 55 yeah. to 60. That's it. <laughs> no, no, I mean, it is incredible. It is incredible. Biden is, you know, roundly castigated for... The fact that he, you know, he's too old, etc. Yeah, and it's made worse by the fact that he's actually not a very good speaker and, and has stuttered ever since he was a kid. Yeah. So Trump, who's a very good speaker, whatever else you think about him, he, you know, he's an excellent speaker. Mm. He's not much younger. But the <laughs> interesting thing about Trump is that he's sliding towards the lala. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh Is an experience. How can I say this? That I somewhat appreciate? <laughs> you know But I mean, having said that, he's more than a decade older than me
0: already. Yeah, I mean, no, I, you no, know, it's, it's enough with these old guys. We yeah. need new rooms. We need new leaders. We need new leaders here as much as we do everywhere else in terms of youth and people who've got a longer future than their past. Okay. Yes. People who are planning fundamental change and strategic directions need to have a bigger future than they have a past ahead of them. That's my hypothesis of the week.
1: That's a good hypothesis. And on that topic, what do you make of the new political characters on the scene? It is going to be a very intriguing election. And, you know, I can't help feeling good about it. I mean, I sort of, you know, there's a lot of things that you can criticize. But generally speaking, the thrust is we need to find solutions. You know, that's what's behind this. Yeah, yeah. And people are seeing an opportunity for the first time. You know, they, they're sensing weakness in the ANC, which might not actually transpire, you know, but, but nevertheless, the people that are popping up, I don't know what their chances are. They, they don't look great to me, but I like them as people. So uh, that's good. Yeah, there's no doubt that it's exciting if not cluttered with new people. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah.
0: But what I'm intrigued in, what are the criteria that you need to present to us the selectors if you want to be in SA Team 2, if you like, 2.0? Right, okay? right. And I've attended a couple of these things, and I've read about them and listened to them, and I'm finding a lot of same old, same old. Okay. So if you want to get a vote, you have to talk about your past, okay. not about your future. And I'm afraid that currency must now depreciate. Okay. We, we're not looking to have freedom fighters get rid of apartheid. Done that. Okay. We need to move now on towards building out of that mistake a prosperous future. And so I'm not hearing a lot about the future. And people, in order to get votes, are standing up and saying, this is where I come from. This is These are my credentials you know, rather than this is what I can and am going to do. And I'm afraid it's time to start talking about what's going to be done, rather than from
1: whence we've come. That's my view. And I haven't heard a lot of it. It's a characteristic of South African politics that your credentials for being a great politician were that you were part of the struggle. Yeah. And then there's a whole argument about how, how much part of the struggle you were. And whether you were really part of the struggle (laughs) and what part of the struggle were were you part of?
0: Yeah. And so and where did you live and how hard did you have it? All of these things were valid and good reason to be appointed to take over. Okay. Yeah. But then what do you do with that power? You then cannot select your Tommies. Okay. Who also have the same credentials. You have to use that empowering vote to appoint competence, and energy, and youth, and purpose, common purpose, and things of that nature. So I'm hoping that as we trundle towards the election in six months or so, people are going to start telling us what they're going to do, not who they are. Okay, yes. We need that change. We need that mindset yes. change. We need, in order to convince the new voters, the unregistered and the registered but couldn't bother, we need to tell them what you are going to do, not who we are. I know,
1: yeah, I agree. And I don't think people care that much anymore about who you were. You know what I mean? I, I just don't see it. it. Maybe it's my kind of particular prejudice, but can I just tell you that I was in the struggle and, and that I played a very important role? Just in case you, you know, that becomes an issue somewhere along the line. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but <laughs> it doesn't automatically give me a, a, a launch pad, I'm afraid. Yeah, There's place for the
0: captain in the cockpit, okay? But he mustn't fly the plane years anymore okay so we need the wisdom of years and and experience and purpose and all of that good stuff but we need to hand over the reins to people who can build a new country out of the ruins of our past and 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 i'm I'm finished with that speech but please if you want us to vote for you tell us what you're going to do to
1: fix us okay can i can i just tell you why i think this is panning out to be an interesting election And I I won't tell you who told me this, but it was actually a very interesting thing. And it's about, weirdly, Israeli politics. So, you know, when you look at, at, you know, I don't follow it particularly closely, but this person that I was talking to does. And he said, you know, the world is astounded by the fact that Bibi Netanyahu, who, who is just the worst leader that Israel has ever had, has kept on managing to win the vote. How has he achieved that? One of the ways that he achieved it was that he recognized that he had himself hit a ceiling he could not get any more votes than he was getting. So what he did was he went out and he supported a whole bunch of very small right-wing parties. And they all got an incremental portion of the vote. And together, he kept on tipping the scales in his favor. And I think something of the same thing might be happening in South Africa. My sense is, I don't know whether I'm right about this, but my sense is the DA is hit, hit a plateau and it's not gonna get any more votes than it's got in the past. So it's important that, that all of the other parties, you know, actually make up ground. And it's possible that they will, you know, they might. That is a feature, I think, of all of
0: the, if you want to call them, established parties. Okay? And I think that, that money would be well spent on backing the two percenters, some of yeah. them. Yes, and the new thinking and the two percenters and let them gather at the end of the election and add up to 10%, let's say, and let that be the
1: swing vote. Yes, rather than the, the horror of horrors, the, the EFF. <laughs> yeah, well, whoever they have to combine with. Let the swing yeah. vote
0: be comprised of uh, new thinking sourced from new voters. Let them insist on certain key ministries like, you know, education and healthcare and security and, and, you know, and finance and infrastructure and so on. And we'll have the beginnings of what might turn into a solution by the next election. Okay. Anyway, I'll be there voting. You know, I've I've been involved in a number of discussions on boards or whatever. And I, I read recently that something approaching 50 CEOs, from all sources, public listed companies, state owned entities, you know, public service entities, and so on, have resigned in South Africa over the last year or so. Okay, now that figure is a rough figure, but it's a lot, right? You know, it's like three a month or something. And so, why? And, and there are lots of reasons, in my view, and I've started thinking about this. One of the reasons is that I've seen in practice is that the exogenous variables are more powerful than the variables that you can manage. So people are focusing on the boat when they should be focusing on the sea. The, the sea has changed. The current has changed. The, the forces that you have to deal with are outside of the specifics of your company. The exchange rate, the, you know, the supply chains, the currencies, the, you know, the cost of money, all of these things have got new players in them. East and West dynamics, wars, things of this nature which are making your micromanagement of your little company practically insignificant in the wind in which it finds itself. And that requires a whole new set of strategic thinking. And you have to think, where am I going to position where I am in the current, not how tidy
1: is my boat? I don't know what to think of that. That's a great analogy. So I think that's interesting. I mean, it's, it sort of ties into the number of the subject I've written about a lot, which is the number of companies that are delisting from the JSE. Yeah. So 20 companies delisted in 2022. I don't know how many in 2023. I think less than that. But the point is that the JSE over the past 30 years has dropped half the number of companies listed. You know, you looked at the stock exchange for your most dynamic most innovative, most growth oriented companies. And if you're not getting them, if what you're getting is the old big companies continuing to, to you know, march onwards and gradually absorb more and more you know, market share, then you have a problem. The JSE top 40 as an index hasn't performed badly. But in a sense, it's great for investors, of course, but there's a negative side to that, which is that the up-and-coming companies are not taking market share away from the big ones. The big ones are just grabbing more and more and more space. And that argues for a very, very undynamic economy. Um, And and it's obviously a consequence of uh, a low-growth environment. Because uh, if you have a low-growth environment, then the exogenous factors are are even more enhanced. Right? Is that correct? I think so. If there's a high-growth environment, the more things you do with your company to position it in the right spot can make more of a difference. Yeah. Sounds a bit theoretical, but anyway, it goes back to my current analogy,
0: which is that if the current is with you, it's a hell of a lot easier to wash over your mistakes or to, you know, or to live with, you know, different costs of capital. But if you're against the current, if you're tacking into the wind, it's the tackers that are going to win now, right? Not the passengers, okay? And so that's very difficult. And I think a lot of CEOs have kind of seen The creation of wealth over the last two decades, the likes of which they're unlikely to see again at a personal level. The markets have been awash with good CEO remuneration for the last (laughs) 20 years. And (laughs) and we are going to have (laughs) slight understatement. We're going to have to curtail our expectations about what constitutes a good and fair return. Okay, because we've had it too good. And now we've talked about this, Tim. Everyone feels negative, but the markets, you know, carry on more positively. And I understand that. But at an individual company level, it's going to be harder. You're going to have to be more astute, more involved, less current, more, you know, all of this stuff. You know, what is the cost of capital going to be? You know, what is inflation in war-torn Europe going to look like? And so on. And so I think it's going to be a much harder job. And it's going to be a, uh, a much tougher test than we've had for the last decade to be the boss. To be the boss is going to be
1: hard. I'm just astounded by the poetry of your analogies. Oh, it's, uh, two. Um, absolutely amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I told you. <laughs> On that theme, I have poetry of my own. I can't wait. Have you got your guitar out? Eh? Get your guitar out, <laughs> One of the things I wanted to talk about <laughs> was COP28. Okay, and I just—I would just like to say—and this rhymes—that COP twenty-eight is a cop out. <laughs> Which part rhymes? It is a keystone COP eight and out. It's not a <laughs>
0: rhyme. So, I'm sorry. You know, rhymes require <laughs> phonetic—you know—intersection, not spelling.
1: Okay. Anyway, so so the news of the week was that the draft agreement of COP twenty-eight. Yeah, which is being held in the UAE at the moment, Yeah, drops the idea of the phase out of fossil fuels. So, you know, to me, this is like completely <laughs> inevitable. This is what happens if you have a climate change conference in a petro state. <laughs> what happens is that the people who make, you know, petro <laughs> yeah. take charge. And when you say to them, we- we're going to phase you out, as they say, you object this copy is kind of interesting, mainly because it made me go back and just look at the numbers again, just to see if, you know, there's a lot of skepticism about about climate change. There's some skepticism. Strange enough, I'm not one of them. I, I think this is a very real human-made problem. But I did see a graph of the temperature rise by country until 2050, so the next 25 years, roughly, right? Okay. So what do you think the temperature change in South Africa will be average temperature over the year, and this is compared to a century previous, right? The aggregate 50 years over in the year. In degrees t- Celsius. In degrees Celsius. So you know you know what they're aiming for, right? Yeah, like aiming for one and a half percent, are they not? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I would say between five and ten no, I'd say between two and five percent. Yeah, that's right. Roughly about two point seven five percent is the current projection at current rates, right? Okay, yeah. But here's the interesting thing, and, and really <laughs> we shouldn't take any comfort from this. Don't think about that, that, you know, this is good news. But the countries which will rise the highest, or in which the, the change will be most marked, will be Finland, Russia, Kazakhstan, and Canada. All very low bases. Right? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. <laughs> oh. There's an Arctic amplification effect, the colder the country is at the moment. The AAE, Arctic amplification
0: effect, yeah, I'm going to use that at my next day, cocktail party. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're talking about COP28 in the UAE, but the focus is on the AAE. Yeah, I've
1: got it, I've got it. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. And South Africa, by the way, is dead on global average. So we are very likely to increase exactly by what the world increases. So it's not like we escape, but we are less less affected than the... Yeah, it doesn't sound a lot. <laughs> it doesn't sound a lot <laughs> until you see what the implications are. And the implications are yeah. that coastal cities are going to be wiped out and that nearly every ecosystem will face high risks of biodiversity loss. Yeah, yeah. And extreme weather events will be more frequent.
0: It doesn't sound a lot until you make it personal. Okay. Yes. If your body temperature has changes by two and a half degrees. That's the difference between being okay and being very not okay. You know, so in degrees Celsius, if you're sitting at a happy like 36 degrees Celsius
1: and you become a 38 and a half degrees Celsius, you are very sick. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But here's a better description. I don't know how much this applies in South Africa, but the two big dams in Arizona in the U.S., are something called Lake Powell and Lake Mead, and their average storage level is around about 10 million meters squared and call it 14 million meters squared. That's the average over their their life, right? Lake Powell is now sitting at 5.3, Lake Mead is now sitting at 7.4. In other words, exactly half. Their current storage levels are precisely half their lifetime average. It's amazing, hey? That's
0: to do with, you know, rainfall and all of the filling up, but it's also to do with the silting. I mean, dams that are not properly maintained, which might not be the case in the US, but it's certainly the case, here, are silting up. And so, you know, the capacity of the dams is actually diminishing as the ground underneath goes up and the wall doesn't. You know, so we've got huge storage problems, but our problems here for the time being are not storage, although I read somewhere... Don't check my source that we are the 50th thirstiest country in the world. But our real issue is not the water, it's getting it to the people. You know, it's the reticulation and the, and this, and the maintenance of such things and the rural needs that have not been addressed or fulfilled. Yeah, yeah.
1: and management and etc. cetera.
0: Water is a big crisis. Water, when you can go without electricity and you can go there, all sorts of things. But as they say about the big three, the threes are the the threes that will kill you. Right. Three minutes without oxygen. Right. Three days without water and three weeks without food. And so water. And the thing about dying from water absence is that you go mad first. Okay. Because your brain, when it dehydrates, goes mad. So water, water, please, please. Okay. And I'm you this. I've seen this. Water restrictions and water absence is now not a problem over there. It's a problem over here. I mean, even in the most, you know, to-do suburbs, we started to see days and days without reticulated water. Anyway, happy Christmas.
1: Well, I was going to ask you, Mark, what do you want for Christmas? What is your Christmas request? I've already got my two front teeth, so I can't
0: come really <laughs> anything else. Um, I want some peace. I want some peace. I want the the
1: absence of noise. Peace, the, uh, uh, uh. not global peace, not not world peace. No, so no, no, no,
0: just my little peace. I, I want <laughs> I want my bubble to stay
1: intact over Christmas. Okay. Oh. and you? I want. I'll tell you what I want. I want population of South Africa better educated in economics. And you
0: want to achieve this in the next two weeks, do
1: you? <laughs> I just think it would be... It would you be should so much... go into politics.
0: Oh, no, that's go. right.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. Revelation. I just think we've done a terrible job of uh, educating South Africans about economics. That we have. And, you know, it's beginning to show, you know, even the most basic topics, or even the most basic concepts of economics are really sort of it seems to me, beyond, yeah. you know, quite sophisticated people. And it's very depressing. And I'll raise this very firmly at the political meetings that I go to over the Christmas period. Good to you. <laughs> and I hope that all the listeners to our little podcast this year have a great Christmas. I'd just like to tell you that we are taking a break now, very well-deserved, if uh, I say so myself. Yeah. And we will be back on the 9th of January and obviously thank you so much for listening over the year it's been too much fun mark you've been a fantastic interlocutor on this thing i really appreciate it. it's it been the best part of my week
0: i've had fun tim and thank you for how we've come together on this it's been such great fun and happy holidays everybody take a bit of time off next year is not going to be for the weekend lazy. <laughs> <laughs> cheers
1: cheers cheers This show is part of the Africa Podcast Network, the biggest podcast network network on the continent. For sales inquiries, please please contact contact us at info at AfricaPodcastNetwork.com.